As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast as we continue with several episodes that are a dramatic recreation of testimonies given at the British Titanic Inquiry. This has all been made possible by the fantastic Titanic Inquiry project. You can find it at titanicinquiry.org where they've been slowly but relentlessly transcribing thousands of pages of testimony. So far, we've heard the evidence given by Lady Duff Gordon, one of only three women interviewed and the only female passenger interviewed by the Wreck Inquiry. The only other passenger interviewed was her husband. We've also heard from Charles Lightoller, the most senior of Titanic's officers to survive, the lovely Fred Barrett, stoker from Liverpool, and today the fabulous Annie Robinson, another of those three women interviewed by the court. Annie Robinson, aged 47, was a first-class stewardess. She was born on the 27th of February 1865, daughter of Charles and Elizabeth Franklin. She was married, she had two daughters. Her husband had emigrated to the United States, but Annie maintained her address in England. Prior to serving aboard Titanic, Annie had been regularly employed on several steamers, including on Lake Champlain, when... 
bound for Montreal, it collided with an iceberg in dense fog on the 7th of May 1909, causing the vessel to divert to St John's and land her passengers there. So poor old Onnie had a bit of previous when it came to running into icebergs. She was asleep when Titanic collided with its iceberg. She woke, dressed, made her way towards the forward end of E-deck, where she noticed water coming up within a couple of feet of the stairwell, which led down to the mail room, two levels below. While she was below, she testified to seeing Captain Smith and Purser McElroy and Thomas Andrews enter this area as they performed their inspections of the damage. Andrews told her to put on her life jacket if she valued her life. With the responsibility of several children, she helped them evacuate the ship. All of them survived, and then she herself escaped in lifeboat number 11. In the years following her testimony at the Wreck Commissioner's inquiry, Annie was uncomfortable speaking about the disaster. She was subsequently a stewardess aboard the Galatea in 1913 when King George V and Queen Mary came aboard as passengers. The King was particularly interested in her experiences and began asking questions about the disaster, but those questions made Annie very upset. Sadly, her life ended sometime between the 9th and the 10th of October 1914 when she jumped overboard whilst travelling on the Leyland Line at Devonian, en route to Boston, where she was supposedly going to visit with her daughter and family. It was said that the prior evening the vessel had sailed into heavy fog and began sounding her foghorn, which distressed Annie and caused her to jump overboard. Her disappearance was not noted until the morning of the 10th when she failed to appear at breakfast. It was not reported if her body was recovered. A sad tale indeed. Her testimony is fascinating, so let's now head to the Wreck Commissioner's Court, Scottish Drill Hall, Buckingham Gate, Westminster, in May 1912, on the 11th day of the inquiry, where Annie Robinson has taken her seat and Raymond Asquith, a junior counsel for the Board of Trade and the son of the sitting Prime Minister, has risen to his feet. You were a first-class stewardess on the Titanic, were you not? Yes. And at the time the ship struck the iceberg, I think you were in bed? I was. Did you get up and dress? I did. And did you afterwards go in the direction of the mailroom? Yes. What deck were you on? Um, E-deck. When you got to the top of the stairs which lead down to the mailroom, what did you see? I saw two mailbags and a man's Gladstone bag. And on looking down the staircase, I saw water within six steps of coming onto E-deck. That would mean that it had gone out to the top of the mail room and into the compartment about that? Certainly. Are the stairs you are speaking of the ones by the side of the squash rackets court? Yes. Now, I would like to follow this. Now, I see the mail room on the plan. I think I can point it out to you, my lord. That is the mail room, above that is the post office, and above that is the squash rackets court. It was at the stairs, there, that the water was seen. The witness says that the water came to within six steps of the top of those stairs. About what time was this? About half an hour after she struck. After the collision? After the collision, about half an hour. 
Did you see that the captain and Mr. Andrews about this time? The mailman passed along first, and he returned with Mr. McElroy. And the captain and they went in the direction of the mailroom. But that was before. It was seeing the captain and Mr. Andrews going to the mailroom that made you go there? I followed after they had come back. Are we to understand that at this time the mailroom was covered with water? Uh, Yes, and not only the mailroom, but the story immediately above it too. When you saw the water there, I suppose you realised that things were rather serious. I did. Uh, Did you go and look after your ladies? I did. How many ladies were under your charge? Seven ladies and one maid and one governess. Did you see the other stewardesses doing the same thing? Looking after their passengers? The stewardess on my deck was doing exactly the same thing. Did you then go upstairs onto A deck? I had to call a stewardess I had met on the boat on deck A. Were you told by a steward there to put on your coat and life belt? Mr Andrews told me first. Did Mr Andrews tell you anything else? Yes, Mr Andrews told me to put on my life belt after I had been on E deck. Did he say something to you about blankets? We had already got the blankets and the lifeboats out of the rooms, which were unoccupied, at the foot of the staircase. Mr Andrews said to me, Put your lifebelt on and walk about and let the passengers see you. I said to him, Looks rather mean. And he said, No, put it on. And then, after that, he said to me, Well, if you value your life, put your belt on. Did you put your belt on and walk about in it? I did. Did he say anything to you about Mr. Ismay? No, Mr. Ismay's name was never mentioned in my hearing. So far as you know, were all the ladies on E-Deck warned by the stewardesses whose business it was to look after them? Yes, and they were all saved too. You told us you were responsible for seven or eight ladies. Were they all saved? They were. Eventually you were put into boat number 11... Yes. I will not ask you about what happened in the boat, but there is one thing I should have asked you about what happened before. Did you see the carpenter? I did. He was the first man I saw. He came along when I was looking down at the water, and he had the lead line in his hand. Had he taken a sounding, do you know? I could not tell you. Did he say anything to you? No. The man looked absolutely bewildered. Distracted. He did not speak. You think he looked alarmed? He certainly was. When your boat left the ship, was the band still playing? It was. Can you remember at all what time it was when your boat left? Well, I looked down at my watch when the ship went down and it was 20 minutes to two. That was by altered time when we were in the boat and I do not think we were in the boat for more than three quarters of an hour. You left about three quarters of an hour before the ship went down? Yes. Have you ever been in a collision before? Yes. What ship was that? The Lake Champlain? Yes. Also an iceberg? Yes. So that you knew exactly what to do on this occasion? Yes. And you did it? Yes. When was it you were told to put on the lifebelt? You said that it was three quarters of an hour after something. I said it was three quarters of an hour after I felt the shock of the collision. Did the people get into the boat in an orderly way? Yes. 
Did you hear the band playing? Yes. Was it still playing when you left the ship? Yes, it was. It was playing when I went up to A deck to call the other stewardess. And when I left the ship, it was still playing. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. It's been something of a mammoth task. I must thank all of the people who have made it possible. In particular, the hugely talented Kai White, who played Annie Robinson. Daniel Jameson was John Bigham, the commissioner. Jamie White had a multitude of roles as Mr. Cotter, Mr. Finley and Mr. Asquith. None of this would have been possible or practical without those researchers who transcribed it all. Bob Bonnell, Earl Chapman, Mike Disabato, Vera John Gillespie, Linda Greaves, Jane Hilbert, Rob Otmers, Stuart Partridge, Marilyn Powell, Susie Powell, Park Stevenson, Bruce Trank and Bill Wormstead. Thank you all very much indeed. Now, please make sure you check out our fantastic YouTube channel where you can see a number of important animations concerning the Titanic, in particular a 3D animation based on the ship's original lines that's been seen over a million times, and also another video which looks specifically at Titanic safety equipment. Please subscribe. We'll be releasing more fabulous testimony soon. And do remember that the podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyd's Register Foundation. The Lloyd's Register Foundation have recently launched their fantastic project, Maritime Innovation in Miniature, filming the world's best ship models with the latest camera equipment. It's absolutely astonishing, and I would urge you all to check it out. You find it by Googling Maritime Innovation in Miniature. The Society for Nautical Research, you can find at S nr.org.uk where I would urge you all to join up they bring you the podcast you in return can join the society it really doesn't cost very much and all of the money goes towards helping preserve the maritime past and to tell as many people about the importance of maritime history as possible